Hello and welcome back to Beauty Island, the beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I'm your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart, and it's been a while, a few months to be exact. As I alluded to in the last episode of season two, I was taking a little break. In fact, I quit my job, packed my bags and went travelling for three and a half months around Europe. To be entirely cliched, it was an absolute trip of a lifetime spent in the company of old friends, new friends, family and largely myself. I ate and drank my way through France, Italy and Spain. I wandered for days around the galleries of Vienna, Amsterdam, Paris and London, soaking up the art, fashion and beauty history from the likes of Mary Kwan, Yves Saint Laurent, Helena Rubinstein, you know, the usual. And I may even have done a few Beauty Island interviews along the way. But after a summer of a little self-indulgence, a lot of self-discovery and plenty of cultural exploration on the one year anniversary of launching Beauty Island, I am back and so excited to kick off season three. A reminder of exactly what we do here in case you're new or like me, I admit it's been a while. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them the ones they take to a desert island or beauty island that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the product that reminds them of their mum, the beauty product that defined their teens or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. This episode, my guest is Ava Matthews. Now, this is an interview I did before I left But as we firmly leap into spring with summer on the horizon, in Australia at least, I thought now was the perfect time to release it. And as soon as you listen, you'll understand why. But where to begin with Ava? She's had such an interesting career, from working in beauty PR to developing product at Mecca Cosmetica, to co-founding Skinscreen brand, yes, that's sunscreen and skincare combined, FYI, Ultra Violet. If you follow any Aussie beauty bloggers on Instagram, You'll probably have seen it on your feed already as everybody is raving about this sunscreen disruptor. Now, I actually use their Supreme Screen sunscreen every single day while I was in Europe and can honestly, hand on heart say, it is one of the best facial sunscreens I've ever tried. And as a bonus, it also works brilliantly as a primer under makeup. Anyway, seriously enough about me. In this episode, Ava talks about her slightly different childhood, growing up with beauty editor mum and fashion photographer dad. After all, it's not everyone who wakes up on a school day to see Naomi Campbell in their garden. Working in PR in New York and finding out it's nothing like Samantha Jones made it out to be, why buying perfume on holiday is always a good idea, and the story behind co-founding her latest venture, Ultraviolet, plus so much more. If you enjoy this episode... You know the drill by now. Please subscribe if you haven't already, rate five stars, and maybe even leave a little review on Apple Podcasts too. We've got some incredible local and international guests coming up in season three, and that really helps spread the words. And I really love reading your lovely comments about why you enjoy listening to Beauty Island. Fills my heart. Now, over to Ava. Enjoy. Ava, welcome to Beauty Island. Now, your mum was a fashion editor. And yes. your dad, a fashion photographer. Yes. So I can imagine you had quite an early introduction to fashion and beauty. Can you tell me a bit about those early memories? Yeah, I've been exposed to fashion my entire life. I kind of feel like I was almost brought up on on fashion shoots. And I remember being at Fashion Week 
really early days with you know when it was back at Moore Park and I'd go there after school and we'd hang out at Bar Bazaar it was probably like free babysitting for mum because <laughs> I don't think many other people had children at that that point she was she had me very young at 23 so yeah and I feel like that I was always kind of around models and we'd often shoot at our house so it wasn't really uncommon for me to wake up and there'd be a full like production going on at our house Miranda Kerr getting her makeup done and you know in our backyard I was exposed to fashion very early and I guess a lot of my mum's friends were makeup artists she's much more into fashion whereas I'm much more into makeup and not really into fashion so it's kind of always been around and I think I think it's probably what part of why I kind of wanted to get into beauty in the first place I've read in an interview that I don't know whether it's your mum describes you as this or you describe yourself as the Vegas version of your mum can you explain that a bit more I mean look I think she described me as that I think someone was asking her to tell them what my style was like and my mum was kind of like I guess she's kind of like the Vegas version of me it's probably not entirely correct we're very different like she's very minimal kind of like almost masculine dressing like always really in pattern like she always looks she's super stylish like she always has looked amazing but she's not super girly or as I'm I'm very girly and I'm into spray tans and like big hair and lots of lashes and she would rather like stab herself in the eye than <laughs> than have her hair done like me or like I remember we did a Mother's Day shoot a couple of years ago and she left me alone with the hair and makeup artist and she came back because she was styling it. We were in the shoot together but she was also styling it and she came back after styling someone and I had like a full like Texan like blow wave and like a red lip and she was just like oh I left (laughs) you alone and now look at you so I'm very glitzy I I definitely take after more after my grandmother who loved makeup and and all of that stuff. The first product on your list is the one that you kind of grew up watching your mum or your grandma apply and we've got we've got two we've got Christelle Fragrance by Chanel and then you've also said that your grandma who you mentioned before used to love a neon pink lipstick which I love she sounds like a character yes she definitely was look my mum did have a bit of a makeup wardrobe I mean she didn't used to wear nothing she didn't really wear foundation but she'd wear concealer it was always this Revlon concealer that I used to then steal if I had like the occasional teenage pimple she also would wear this like prescriptives which is not around anymore um kind of like wine colored lipstick and always douse herself in Christelle I think it's around but it's pretty old school by Chanel and that's like the kind of very familiar memory of her whereas my grandma was like a lot more extra she had smaller eyes but she'd have like a lot of black liner she had my mum and I are both blonde and my grandma has like a very like well her hair thinned out as she aged but she had like a lot of really dark brown hair and was always very like glam like she's from Adelaide so she often like had a you know, some sort of like ribbon in her hair, like big pearls and loved her hot pink lipstick, neon almost, which I also love. So where uh, my grandma would always be like, wear more makeup. And my mum would always be like, wear less makeup. So <laughs> you're um, somewhere in between. Yeah, I'm somewhere in between, depending on what day you get me. Now, as you mentioned, you always love beauty from an early age. And is it true, you said in an interview, that your mum actually put a security lock on her bedroom door to stop you borrowing her stuff? <laughs> she did. Oh, I forget about that. It's become like this fashion industry law. But I think when I was a teenager, and my mum and I are not the same size. I'm a lot curvier than her. And so I could never really fit into her clothes. So I wasn't really interested in her, in her clothes until later on um, in my probably my early 20s 
when we were the same size for a brief period. But she, uh, it would be like her makeup. So she worked in a magazine and so she'd always get access to all the beauty cupboards and she was friends with all the beauty editors. So they'd give her makeup or she'd ask like, cause she knew how much I loved it. So her room and she would ha- always had like a present drawer for like presents for my friends and my, my brothers and sisters friends or her friends just at the ready so she'd have like you know brand new perfumes or lipsticks or what a fragrance or whatever it was and I would be desperate to get into that present drawer all the time plus like all her cupboards and cupboards of makeup that she didn't use so I remember I think I stole like a NARS lip gloss (laughs) and like plus maybe a pair of her like gym socks and I think that was the final straw I think she was just sick of me like borrowing things and never returning them or she'd like I'd think oh she's not going to use this whatever lip colored lipstick like I've never seen her wear this color in my life and then she might have like a disco party and want to wear that one lipstick that she knows because my mother is like the most detail-oriented neat like crazy type a person you've ever known she knows where everything is if something's not in its place like she doesn't she and she can't explain it it's like someone's stolen it so I think she'd go and like try and find this one obscure random colored lipstick that she'd marked for this special party and I'd have taken it or it wouldn't be there and she just like lost it and I came home one day to a door like a literally like a security lock and I'm not talking like a lock and key like a key it was like literally a pin coded security lock um, being installed on her door (laughs) and I was like this is the worst thing and you know what I'd never found out I'm such a snoop I'm the nosiest person and ever like I ask a million questions I'm always spying listening for the entire however many years we were in that house I think it was probably at least six five or six I didn't figure out what the pin code was it probably wasn't even that hard but I didn't I couldn't crack it obviously you're surrounded by this kind of quite creative family Mm. did you have an idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up kind of in the final years of high school did you have a very specific plan or or not I did yeah my parents are very creative they're very different like they're very visual I'm not so visual I'm kind of I couldn't notice if a painting was hanging crooked on a wall like I VM is like my worst nightmare (laughs) I'm I'm differently creative so I, I kind of knew that I wanted to do something creative but not exactly like them and I think at the time I think it was like year nine or ten when Sex and the City came out and I would watch it and I think I saw I think Samantha Jones obviously was one of my favorite characters and she was in PR and it seemed like so glam to me and I thought you know I'm quite sociable and I'm a good writer and I can speak well and present well and blah 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 so you know maybe I'll give PR a try so I think that's kind of when I, and I also did a bit of interning as well I did through mum's connections I interned at a couple of PR at beauty and fashion agencies and and felt like oh you know this probably could work I might try. The second product on your list is the product that defined your teens which is the uh, poppy shine lip gloss the old school one in the uh, tub. Yeah. Tell me about that. So these um, these don't exist anymore but so Poppy King who has I think the, the brand's lipstick queen now and it's sold in Mecca oh Mecca Maxima I think um, so she does lipsticks but like way back when in the 90s she was like I don't know what other makeup she did but all I was allowed and this was like my early teens I'm talking like 12 13 um, and because I went to a girls school I wasn't we weren't allowed to wear makeup um, but they would let you wear lip balm so I was like the girl at school who literally would have a bulging pocket full of lip balms and lip glosses and the ones I loved the most were these poppy I think it was called like shine poppy shine I can't remember I'll have to and it was in this like lucite kind of 
um, it was really big. It was probably like 15, 20 grams. It was like about the size of an eye eye cream. And I had three shades at least in my school pocket. Um, and it was this really like glossy lip. Like my favorite one was the clear because I could get away with wearing it at school. Um, and I like would just cart them around all day. I don't know, like in my pocket. My Literally, I, if you see photos of me at school, you can just see this girl with a bulging side <laughs> pocket because it's full of lip lip balms and lip glosses and I think I think that gave way to I think juicy tubes came out a year or so later so my obsession switched to juicy tubes and I often have maybe like four or five different flavors in my pocket at one time but yeah that was all I could get it kind of get away with at that point um so that was it yeah I hate to think about how much juicy tubes I ate just because they used to taste so good they did (laughs) and I used to like layer them on like layer them I'm I was probably half lip gloss at that point Literally. So you ended up studying communications at university. Yeah. Um, and then ended up working in, in a fashion and beauty PR company. Yeah. Working on, I think that was what, was that where you were working on? You were working on some big beauty accounts, including Mecca. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, when I decided, when I kind of started doing PR, at, part of the degree at UTS, which is where I went to uni, um, was you had to do like a, an internship for, I think it was for a semester or a year, I can't remember. It was like real life skills, which is great because, you know, you're going to learn, especially in PR, like who needs to go to uni for three years to learn how to do PR? It's very much one of those and I'm there's no disrespect to the industry. I was doing it for, you know, six years. But I think it's one of those things that you, those industries where you pick up a lot on the job if you're working under the right people and I was fortunate enough to be able to work um another one of mum's friends at the time and who's one who's kind of become one of my mentors Gary Saunders and he had probably the best known P, um, beauty PR industry at the time and he um had a lot of Procter & Gamble accounts so SK2, Pantene, Olay so I got a lot of structure I guess um, from that side of the agency, but then he had some other accounts, you know, and these were relatively new brands at the time. Mecca, I think, had pretty much just launched, um, and Aesop, um, Jolique. Um, so those kind of brands were the more, I guess, the more cult, like indie, I guess, brands compared to the very, the very um, old school ish structure of the PNG brands. Um, and so I got to, fortunately, got to work. A, across both um, and then ultimately decided that I much preferred working on luxury um, and kind of decided to stay with Mecca. So I, yeah, I'd kind of had exposure to Mecca from age 19 before eventually going in-house there many years later. And what were those first few years working full-time in in PR like? Were you living your Samantha Jones? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. Um, In some ways. I mean, look, some way you kind of – I was very just eager to learn and I didn't – I just – I just remember kind of like wanting to learn from the right people and wanting to have fun and and I I guess I'd never took anything for granted but I, you know, I did have a lot of – I knew a lot more people than most people my age just through my parents and – but yeah, it definitely wasn't glamorous, and you know, as anyone who's starting out in any industry will tell you, it was really—it's terribly paid. But it, you know, it was great. I learned so much. I was exposed to so many people. I worked under some amazing people. I worked on some amazing launches. I remember I was at a party with with Gary for SK Two, and um, Kate Blanchett was the face of it. And he, my 
stepmother had styled her for something earlier in that year and my and Gary introduced me to Kate Blanchett as his bitch <laughs> which I was humiliated with at the time but we laugh about it now but you know I got I got exposure to things that you wouldn't normally have and and I got to because Mecca was because I was so interested in Mecca and I loved the brands and I was really passionate about new brands I got to do a lot of things that probably most people at my age wouldn't have and I got to you know handle new brand launches and got to launch some really amazing brands into the market, you know, Frederick Marle and Terry and Lalabo, Hourglass, and got to meet some really amazing founders. So you did that for a few years. And then I think it was in 2010, decided to move to New York. What sparked that decision? Probably still part of my Samantha Jones <laughs> fantasy. Uh, my mum went to a cocktail party and came back one day and said, oh, I've just met this woman and heard son I think has just done this program called Mountbatten and you know you should look into it it's this really amazing program and you you if you get accepted which a very small number of Australians do they basically put you into in paid internships plus you have to study so you're basically getting a you know credits to do an MBA and plus they put you in housing and stuff so you're basically living and working in Manhattan being paid albeit you know not very well with a whole bunch of other kids your age mostly from the UK so I got accepted and went and and so did a a really good friend of mine and we went over together and kind of got thrust into this almost like a college like a experience I guess you live in apartments but they're practically dorms and so we worked and studied and like partied and we just had this amazing year and then I decided that I wanted to stay in New York and so I started applying for jobs in PR agencies in in New York and I had to go and get my like I was on a visa it was a studying visa which the Mountbatten program put you on but then I had to go and get my own um, I think it was E3 and I went through a lot of all my contacts that I had and I ended up getting a job at a small boutique agency that focused more not so much on beauty they did have a, a few beauty clients but it was more lifestyle and so I did that for about six months and it was hell it was hell like I'd never had a bad working experience I'd always gotten along with everyone and I'd worked basically for family you know Gary Saunders was basically like a godfather to me and not to say that I got it easy because of him but it was just like it it was a nice environment and you know the people that I worked with at Mecca were amazing and people I worked with at P&G were amazing but it was just New York was just a different kettle of fish it's like you do have to be so tough to to stay there and and they the team that I kind of went into would eat each other for breakfast there was just like no friendship and I was spending like 11 hours a day at work or or 12 no sorry I was spending more like 12 13 hours a day at work with no real like friendship with anyone because everyone was just so like wanting to get to the top and also the woman that I who owned the agency was horrible and I so I think you know I really believe that a fish rots from the head so I think a lot of the people that worked there were kind of emulating that behavior and I got really sick I had gallstones and I didn't but the stress was making it really bad like the Americans couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and I got back and then I kind of left New York because I had another job opportunity and got back to Australia and then six months later like the attack started again and like I just went to a GP and she was like sounds like you've got gallstones but you should go and like it was funny because I'd spent months trying to figure out what was wrong with me and they'd put me on like anti-acid tablets and all this thing and I walked back into Australia and, and they're like yeah yeah this is what it is no big deal just go and have it out it's just you know we're very fortunate to have the healthcare that we do in Australia side note but you know we important are. yeah most yeah. definitely yeah yeah 
Now, the third product on your list is the one that gives you your signature look yeah. or confidence boost, which is fake tan. Can you tell me about the particular fake tan that you like and why you love fake tan so much? I don't think it's my signature look, but if you're if it's a confidence boost, it's definitely fake tan. Like I love that feeling of being tanned like it makes me feel good like it makes me in my head mentally I've got this thing where I'm like I can't wear probably like two-thirds of my outfits if I'm not tanned so it kind of if I'm not tanned I've got like a limited option of clothes I could wear so it kind of just opens up my wardrobe a bit but it, it does it does make me feel really good and it makes me feel put together I'm always like if all else fails just go and get a spray tan but I found this product actually when I was at Mecca I was asked to test a bunch of products to see if they're, if they're any good because they get obviously get sent a lot of brands and a lot of products to go to go into their stores and I got asked to test this and I loved it called glow by Becca and it's just a really great color it's an organic tan and it fades evenly so yeah that's my kind of it just the only annoying thing about tanning is it just takes so long like the scrubbing off the process the process and then getting it on the sheets and the you know like when it starts to fade and your fingers look all scaly and your feet go all patchy and you like look like you're wearing fake tan pants and You've got white scale, yeah, so that process isn't fun. But like the whole like when you are tanned makes me feel good. Is worth it. Yeah. (laughs) So as you mentioned, before this point, uh, your career was working PR for beauty brands, but at an agency. And then when you came back to Australia and and since then, you've kind of been in-house, Napoleon Purtis and then Mecca. Tell me how you got the job at Mecca, because I thought it was really interesting because it wasn't like it wasn't necessarily advertised, but it was one of those things where you were working out what you wanted to do with your career, decided places that you would like to work and kind of went out and made it happen. Yeah. So tell me that story. When I left New York, I was kind of like, I look, I know I've been doing PR for the past five years or whatever, but I do, it's not really an end goal for me. I kind of realized that, especially in an agency, I'm sure it's you, you're able to be a bit more strategic when you're in, in, in-house at a company. But I just was like, oh, it's just not enough. Like I kind of have always loved brands. I'd always had in my sights perhaps a brand myself I didn't know what that was at that point I loved kind of working on I loved the product side so I was kind of I never really knew where it would end up taking me but I just kind of was like I just feel like I need to get more into marketing and more into strategy and so I took a job at Napoleon in PR under another uh, mentor of mine with the view and I think it was an unspoken view between the two of us and later we did speak about it but I was like I don't want to be in PR Um, it's funny because now everyone kind of always perceives me as being in PR but I've been out of PR for a lot longer than I was actually in it Um, how I got to Mecca was that I'd been at Napoleon for three years and knew that I needed to get out at that time I'd spent 12 months doing PR for Napoleon and then transitioned into more of a communications and strategy role which did include some ideation like product development ideation and at Napoleon I kind of came up with a concept to collaborate with Slim Aarons who's a kind of was a lifestyle photographer he's no longer around but he he photographed all these beautiful pools and houses and like basically rich famous people in the 50s onwards to probably then I think to the late 90s and he had some really beautiful photography and they're very highly referenced works and I thought you know imagine if we could do because Napoleon had a house in Palm Springs and I thought there's a bit of a connection there like if we do kind of like a poolside glamour um, collection and we use the image and work with his estate which we did so I kind of got a really good entree into product development through that process and then the Mecca job came up because I emailed my kind of main senior contact I guess at Mecca um, who's now the creative director and I said look I really I think I want to come 
and work for you at Mecca. I had two companies that I wanted to work for at that point and it was Mecca and then Estee Lauder. But I kind of knew I liked working for Australian beauty brands and and obviously, you know, everyone will have an opinion on Napoleon. But the head office wasn't in New York or Paris and we were just rolling out whatever they gave us. We were coming up with the strategy and coming up with the vision and coming up with the creative. So I kind of, I knew that I wanted to control, I guess, those elements rather than being handed a package and being like roll it out to the market so obviously my preference was to work for Mecca and or Estee Lauder so I met with some people at Estee Lauder and I I kind of never really thought I would get to Mecca it kind of seemed a bit too far away and then someone was like there's some jobs going just like email Marita and and see if, if you can get in and I was like okay well I'll give it a shot and so I emailed and and I got I you know had a call with HR and flew down and, and met with everyone and there are a couple of jobs going I think a couple of marketing jobs and I met with Joe and and met with a, a lot of people I think I was there from like I think I was there for about six hours and meeting people that wow. one time I think they were kind of like well we've flown you down we may as well just get you to meet everyone because you were living in Sydney at that point yes. and Mecca's HQ is in Melbourne. is in Melbourne yeah so the whole process took three months but I kind of got a call from HR and from Marisha being like look I don't know how I don't know if you're right for the roles that you were interviewing for there's something else kind of brewing in the background can you just be patient with us and we just also like we might need you to get you to come again and meet some more people (laughs) and I was like sure okay obviously I was a bit disappointed but I kind of I knew in my heart of hearts that they weren't the right roles for me they're a bit more operational and I think I need I need the scope to be a bit more creative so fast forward maybe a month and a half and I'm down in Melbourne again and I'm meeting with my the woman who ended up being my boss Beck who's now my business partner and about a role in their signature line team and I had my mentor who had brought me to Napoleon was at that point at Mecca and I said I looked at the JD for this role and it's called signature line but it's basically the private label arm of the business and I said I can't do this like there's too many financials like there's a third of this I this JD I don't even understand I don't think I can do this like it just seems like I think this will be boring like it'll be hard like I don't know like it was so many things floating around in my head and I was I think most mostly it was fear that I couldn't do it and Lucinda who I, who brought me to N- Napoleon and then was at Mecca at that point said oh no I think think this would actually be amazing for you I think you don't worry about the stuff that you can't do they can teach you that and Mecca very much like have the soft skills and teach the hard skills later so as long as you're a kind of a culture fit you're intelligent you'll you know you can do the job but the little things they can teach you they're willing to take a, a bit of a gamble on you which I guess they did me in some ways so I ended up getting offered the brand manager of the Mecca Cosmetica um, signature line brand and I was like at first I was like oh my, this is really boring they've got like body products and sunscreen and like how am I gonna make that sexy because I'm like <laughs> you know I was much more of a color person at that point Lucinda and Beck were like just just give it some time like you'll be able to make it your own but you just need to like learn what you're doing and I moved down to Melbourne and how long have you been in Melbourne now coming up to five years but like the first six months were so lonely and I would go back to Sydney every pretty much every weekend and it was becoming really expensive so I was like I have to give this a go if anyone's moved to a new city it takes a while especially if you don't have I kind of moved down and I was like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've got friends here I know people and I probably knew like one person it took me a year and a half before I felt like settled fully settled so it takes a long time and there were times where I was like desperately lonely and wanted to go back to all my friends and family in Sydney but now I can't imagine moving back And you mentioned, so you, you became the brand manager for Mecca Cosmetica and you mentioned yeah. that it was quite a multifaceted role. Yeah. And it sounds like you were kind of working all the different 
teams in terms of product development you're mm-hmm. presenting to marketing that was a bit of the sales stuff yeah so what what was a day like what kind of responsibilities were you involved with sometimes I'd be talking to Joe and I felt like my brand and I have to sometimes like stop myself from saying like my I think for my brand you know like because <laughs> it feels like you're so deep in it like you're you know working on the P&L you're you know working on the product strategy on the marketing strategy on the sales strategy you kind of act almost as a general manager in a way of a brand and it's the best training ground I could have ever gotten I'd be meeting with suppliers one day and then have you know a product strategy meeting with the product development girls then I'd be looking at stock and then I'd be you know having to sit with finance and go through an RP&L and it was just so multifaceted it was it was incredible it was the most amazing three years and I met so many people including my now co-founder was an amazing place for me yeah the fourth product on your list is the perfume that has a special memory for you and Mm. you mentioned the brand before Lalabo what's the scent and what's the story behind it for you look I'm like a bit of a fragrance addict so for me to pick one fragrance there's probably actually I'm going to say there's two so one of the ones is when Frederick when I when we launched Frederick Marle at Mecca he came out and I did the press day with him and he's the most divine human and I remember being like I like this one and it was like this really like heady rose full-on fragrance and a lot of Frederick Marr fragrances are pretty full-on but they're insane and he was like "Mm, really like you're young I was probably like 24 at the time and he was like it's you know he's got a French accent which I'm not going to (laughs) imitate but he was like it's too heavy you know like this is too much for you kind of thing and I was like because I was putting like five sprays and he was like "Mm, okay tomorrow come with nothing and let's try it and we'll give you like we'll try one spray and he was like okay one spray of this it's lipstick rose um and it literally smells like a lipstick but it's kind of rosy and I love rose it's kind of fresh but like also really old school in like a really cool way and anyway so he did one spray and and it smelled like you can smell it for days and I was like "Mm," kind of like took me a while to get used to but the one that so that's that's very special to me because obviously he helped me choose it and and picked it for you yeah and that doesn't I mean he probably would have chosen something else had he had his way because he was kind of like "Mm," but I can see you really like this so okay I'll like I'll let you go with it you know Um, I love that your pick was the one that endured because you know yourself yeah exactly um and the other one is Bay Rose which is Lalabo and it's a city exclusive and I smelt it when I was in London at the end of a kind of three-week European trip in 2015 and in September they open up all of their city exclusives and I think it's the Chicago city exclusive so you can't technically buy it outside of Chicago except for the month of September and I didn't it must have been like the 29th of September or something that I was there and so I was walking into the lab I went in and I was like oh I work because I worked for Mecca at the time and I was like oh, I work for Mecca and they're like oh you know like you know had me smelling I was like oh this is amazing and they were like yeah and it was I can't remember how much it was maybe 150 pounds but at the end of like a three-week holiday 150 pounds is kind of I was like oh do I get it do I not and I kind of armed and armed and then I was like no nah, I won't get it and I left and they gave me a few little like sample vials and so I kept in my bag and like sniff it all the time and I was like oh I like that's a really like regretful purchase because I know I went out that night and spent a hundred pounds on a bottle of champagne and had I and then probably spent like 50 pounds on what are those really nice oh those nice chalk minstrels I like I spent like all this money on crap that I could have actually bought the perfume anyway but then probably about I bought it probably like a year and a half ago again it was September it must have been like six months not even six months into the relationship with my boyfriend and we'd gone that we were on Gertrude Street and we just had brunch at Archie's which is just down the road I think I'd had like two mimosas at um <laughs> at brunch so I was like a little like tipsy and we walked in because Dion loves the Labo it's my boyfriend and great taste yeah exactly he 
was like, I want to smell what. And I, yeah, it was September. So I went in and they had Bay Rose. And I was like, this is my opportunity. Like, I'm going to get it. I'm drunk. Like, this is great. No <laughs> one's going to tell me no. Like, my internal monologue was just like, yes, yes, yes. And then I was like, okay, how much is it? And they were like, oh, it's like $400 for a 50 mil. And I was like, oh, my God, I should have bought the 150 pounds. Like, this is so much. This is so expensive. But, you know, when you're just like a little bit drunk and, you know, you're, it's a cool, it was kind of cool morning and, you know, just felt right. It Everything just felt was... right. So I was like, I'm getting this fragrance. So I bought it then and I love it. Every time I wear it, I get compliments. But the good thing is you can like get it refilled at any time of the year and it's cheaper. Oh. So you, if you buy it in September, they can, they can refill it at any point for you and it costs less. So tip for anyone who wants to buy a city exclusive. <laughs> and you'd had, you know, over a year to decide whether you really wanted it. So it wasn't informed. An exactly. Informed it impulse wasn't a, exactly, exactly. It was an impulse purchase. And Dion was kind of like, how much was that? And I was like, nothing. No, don't worry. And like that, I'd probably said like, you pay for breakfast kind of thing. And then I, I was, he was like, how much was it? And I was like, oh, $250. It's nothing. It's like, even though it was, I think it was $450 actually. Wow. So yeah, very expensive, but worth it. You've talked about the product development side of things, uh, the role at Mecca being really great exposure to that, but it was something you were doing at Napoleon as well. Is that an area, obviously, going into Ultra, your, your company, Ultraviolet, which mm. we'll talk about in a second, did you have ever have an idea that you would go on to develop your own brand, your own product? I always kind of imagined that I would. I was coming up with business plans for things before I even like got to Mecca, um, not fully fledged business plans, but like seeds of ideas. And when I was younger, I always wanted to start a magazine, that like a beauty magazine. But then obviously like magazines don't really exist anymore. So I kind of switched about eight years ago. I was like, actually, I know I want my own beauty brand more. When I was working at Mecca, I kind of, I was never like, yeah, I'm going to do this to do my own brand. I was just kind of doing it because it was where my career had led me at, at that point. And I kind of almost felt like I was working on my own brand anyway. So I kind of didn't really have that desire. But I do love the product development side. There, there's a real art and science to it. People would think like, oh, it's, you know, it's easy. You just come up with ideas for products. And that's like one very small element of it. Um, and I'm much better at the conceptual side of product development than I am at the nitty gritty because it's very, you have to be very detail oriented. You have to be very timeline oriented. You almost have to be like a project manager. And it's not like a really soft and really easy thing to do. Like people, like real product developers are like guns. And they, they're not, there's not many in this country. I mean, I, and I would, and I'm not saying that the ones in Australia are, aren't bad, are bad. They're not at all. They're, you know, they're amazing. Australia's developed some really amazing products and brands, but you know, it's very, it's very detail oriented. You have to be really on top of things. You have to be able to juggle a million things. You have to be, there's a lot of challenges that can come up and you have to be able to navigate those. So it's like, you need really good problem solving skills as well. So it's almost like there's two sides of it. There's the con conceptual side of it which you know someone who's just really into product might be able to do very well um, and then there's the execution side and that is a little bit more complicated because in addition to all those skills you need to be able to negotiate really well and deal with people in all over the world a lot of the manufacturing industries especially in Australia are very old school operated by men handed down from families like from fathers to their sons and as I said very like a lot of the formulations can be really old school so you have to be kind of pushing people to innovate and you kind of have to have a vision I guess for that so it's a it's a very complex industry and I think it's one that we, Australia hasn't really like we haven't really seen I don't think as far as we can go yet 
here but i think you know it's something that's i think it's an industry and it's like watch this space because i think there's a lot more to come the fifth product on your list is your holy grail or one of your greatest beauty discoveries which is the rationale essential six can you tell me about about that one yeah so after i left mecca i went to rationale and as a head of marketing and i had heard a lot of people had had mentioned Rationale and it was a great brand. And, and funnily enough, two years before I went to Rationale, I had said to Beck, who was my boss at Mecca at the time, I'm like, because Rationale were really innovative in sun. And I said, we should go and meet with them because they're literally around the corner and they were around the corner in Richmond. And we should see, maybe we can collaborate. Like maybe they can develop a sunscreen for us and we can have like it's two Australian brands. Blah, blah. And, that, and that never ended up happening. But we met with Richard, who owns Rationale and the GM who, who was then the C- is now the CEO and to talk about a sunscreen but anyway that's just I digress but yeah it's just I so I'd kind of known about them for a while through people who'd used it um and it was kind of like one of those like really fancy kind of underground cult brands that people when you used it you were obsessed and it was like a really results driven brand very disciplined so I went there and I kind of had an understanding of what the hype was about and then I got my hands, I went in for a consultation and had a facial and I got my hands on the Essential 6 and it's just, it changed my skin um, and it's changed my boyfriend's skin and I I mean obviously as a result of being in there I've put so many people on it and it's changed their skin too. It's funny because when I left Rationale I had all these people in the industry being like is it really that good? Like have you been lying to us kind of thing. In, <laughs> in the, I'm like no I swear to God I'm not going to put – I'm not going to like strong arm you into spending $1,000 on a skincare regime that I don't believe in. If I didn't believe in it I'd say just buy this product and you know continue on your merry way using whatever you're using. But I am like I don't know what – I've got obviously got a bit of a stash from when I – was there and I I'm like oh I'm gonna have to buy it (laughs) you know I'm I'm worried about that my bank account's worried about that too as we mentioned you are the co-founder of ultraviolet with your old boss at mecca beck jefford when did the seed for that get planted Halfway through 2016, a large part of the brand at Mecca, the Mecca Cosmetica signature line was sunscreen. We saw a huge commercial opportunity for, and a huge opportunity in the industry for a sunscreen that kind of ticked all the boxes. And that's not to say that the formulations of the, of the Mecca sunscreens aren't good, they're great, but, um, you know, we just saw a bit of an opportunity for a kind of a brand that looked beautiful and felt beautiful, had beautiful ingredients, layered really nicely with makeup and skincare and was just something that you were kind of proud to pull out of your handbag or have on your your bathroom you know cabinet or whatever we kind of there wasn't a brand that really spoke to everything that we kind of had on our list as a consumer and a lot of the languaging we felt around sun was very much cancer which obviously is important or summer and there was nothing that really talked to the everydayness of it I didn't know how dangerous the sun was and how what a major role in anti-aging the sun played in our on our skin until I was at Mecca and I was working on sunscreen a lot and spoke to scientists and read the data and I didn't realize I had no idea how and and I wasn't wearing it every day at that point I was wearing it in summer you know maybe three days a week but definitely not every day and definitely not under makeup until I got to Mecca and I was like wow this is crazy like why aren't more people doing this none of my friends were either so I knew I wasn't the only one. So the sixth product on your list is because you didn't create just one sunscreen, you created 
a range. Yes. So the sixth product on your list is one of them, which is the Ultraviolet Queen Screen. Yes. Tell me about that one. So Queen Screen is the hero in our range and it's for good reason. And I kind of, I wanted something, you know, when Beck and I were, were developing it, we wanted something that was kind of different to all the other sunscreens on the market. And a lot of them are cream-based. We wanted something that was really lightweight, that felt like a serum. And that was kind of what we wanted with all of the products, all three of the, the facial um, sunscreens in the range, was that they felt like skincare products. They didn't feel like sunscreen. They didn't feel goopy or thick or whitening or, give, you know, they, that they didn't give you breakouts and that they didn't, you know, make your eyes sting or, you know, make you have a chemical reaction. So it's very lightweight. It's got a bit of a glow. It smells like roses. It's got some really great anti-aging ingredients like vitamin C and other antioxidants. Um and it just feels really beautiful to wear. It just feels like you're not wearing anything at all. And as you kind of touched on there, I think the thing that sets the ultraviolet products apart is, as you kind of described them, the next generation of sunscreen. And you have a term which you guys have created, which is skin screen, which yeah. I really love. Tell me a bit more about what you mean by that. Beck and I really went into the development process thinking we need to make these feel like skincare products, not like sunscreens. And that was feel of them, the texture of them, but as well as the ingredients that we put in them. So we kind of wanted them to, to feel like a really beautiful skincare product, but have the potency of a high-powered SPF. So they are technically primary sunscreens, so they're sunscreens. They're not like moisturiser with SPF. They are a hydrating SPF or a lightweight SPF. Everything's with the, I guess, sun protection first and then the skincare elements as well. And I think it's really interesting because I've, I've heard a few people talk. I feel like it's something that Zoe Foster Blake talks about with GoTo, how difficult it is to formulate great SPF mm. products and particularly sunscreens. So I imagine what you were trying to do is so innovative and, and different that it probably... There might have been some challenges in the product development phase. Definitely. I mean, it, it actually is really hard to innovate in the sunscreen space because every ingredient that you put in your sunscreen has to be approved by the TGA. And that could be just a hydrating ingredient. It could be obviously the sunscreen active itself, the emollients, the alcohol, everything has to be. And it's not just like short process. It takes at least 12 months for an ingredient to be approved by the TGA. So if you want to innovate, if you want to include some sort of amazing ingredient and put it in a primary sunscreen, you have to be three years ahead of the game. The most difficult thing for me was the packaging regulations. So that everything has to be a certain type weight and font size and things have to be included on there. And when you've got a you know, finite amount of space, as you do on a small serum bottle and a small tube. I'm a creative marketer. I want to put great stuff on there that's going to make people like excited or say things that are, you know, funny or whatever, but you can't. So it really annoys me that you can't do that, which is probably, and yeah, that's probably the most frustrating thing. I can't remember the last time that a brand or a product I feel like as soon as Ultraviolet launched, it was just all over my Instagram feed and not in terms of promotion, but just people genuinely trying and, and loving the brand. What was the re your reaction to the initial reception? Because obviously it's something you've worked very hard on for, for a while to kind of see it out in the wild as such. Well, that's great that you saw it everywhere. I mean, it's hard when you're on the other side and it's your brand. I mean, obviously I'm I'm petrified about reaction, not skin reactions, but I'm, I was petrified about the reaction that people would hate. I have, I was like, people are going to hate it. You know, you always kind of go through worst case scenario. I knew that they were great products and I'd had lots of friends and, you know, other people, industry people trial them before we launched them. 
But I'm always petrified about, you know, someone having a bad experience with the brand or the product. So I was so thrilled to see people loving them. But I was in my head, I'm like, okay, this is great. But like, when is someone going to come out and say it's shit? Like, I, I think, I guess I was just bracing myself for bad publicity or bad press. But thankfully, we haven't had any yet. I mean, obviously, we've had a couple of returns and, and I'm talking like, one hand number of returns and that's natural with every product but every time I get someone being like oh you know kind of like I didn't I didn't sink in or it probably wasn't right for my skin type I'm like for an hour I'm like devastated (laughs) but thankfully they're really few and far but far between otherwise I probably wouldn't get out of bed and as we kind of touched on before and I think it's really interesting you obviously didn't create just one sunscreen I think there's three different types I think that's really interesting because I feel like previously we would have just thought one sunscreen fits all but that's not necessarily the case especially when you're doing what you're doing with ultraviolet which is making it work with makeup and stuff as well yeah and we kind of we knew that one sunscreen wasn't going to work for everyone and we wanted to have a wardrobe of sun options so that was kind of if we had more money we would have done more you know so we kind of looked at what's the bare minimum of what we could launch with and one was like something for sunscreen haters which is probably queen screen supreme screen you know, potentially for lazy people and I'm putting my hand up, you just can't see me because it's a hydrator, an SPF and a primer in one and 50 plus protection. So it's kind of a bit of a dazzle and great for guys as well. And then we were like, okay, we need something for people who are sensitive and we want, we need to give people who either don't want to use a chemical sunscreen active or can't for whatever reason. So we need to give some, give them something. So a mineral sunscreen that was perhaps a bit more mattifying, the other two are probably more hydrating. So, I mean, look, I could have done, we could have done, you know, four more, but there's a lot of money tied up in product just for a new brand. So we kind of had to choose wisely. And one of the things I do also, I really like about the ultraviolet website is that with the product there are instructions about where in your routine it fits because I think that's something a lot of people kind of struggle with about yeah where so I think that's really helpful as well the seventh product on your list is the products that you use to treat yourself and your response was I live in a never-ending state of treating myself (laughs) so what what is that involved I do god obviously i'm an entrepreneur oh, i don't know if i, I mean you obviously I, well you know i work for myself and i you know neither beck nor myself are taking a salary from our business so we're consulting on the side so i kind of don't really have the financial means at this current point in time to be doing all that i would normally do if i you're was not on buying loads of lalabo at the minute I'm, no i'm not <laughs> i'm like no i'm definitely not but you know my old flatmate used to tease me because like sat he'd be like what are you doing? Like it'd be Saturday morning. He'd be like, what are you doing? I'd be like, oh, he'd be like, oh no, you don't have to tell me. You've got your appointments. And I, he used to like tease me because <laughs> I'd be like, I'd go for lash extensions or I'd go for like a brow appointment and then I'd get my nails done and then I'd get a blow dry and then, you know, but I, and I love, I'm like one of those people who could sit on a sa- in a salon all day, like four hours. I mean, now four hours in a salon getting my highlights done, I'm like, kill me, but I know I have to do it. So I guess my, probably my like treating myself, it's probably not a product, it's probably a service. And it would be either a lash lift at Kristen Fisher, as I said, sitting in a salon for four hours, getting a full head of hair is like, to- it's not treating myself because it's boring AF, but... I know I'm going to look and feel a million bucks after it and getting like my nails done, getting a facial. And when I was at Rational, we used to get facials every month as a part of like a skin brilliance. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So I really miss that. But yeah, it's definitely like just going like just beauty appointments. I just love my beauty appointments. Obviously, it is 
still very early days with ultraviolet i think you when when did you officially launch we officially launched we did a bit of a test run um halfway through the halfway through december which is mainly just for friends and family but we had did have what we'd asked for which was press samples which was not we weren't really allowed to do but we did it anyway so we kind of did like a test run of about 120 of those packs we did like sets for people because we thought it's christmas we'll just they can um buy those and then we sold out in like a day and a half and so we were like wow okay this is actually this actually could be something so i kind of like beck and i talked about it and we were like okay we'll have enough stock with those 120 sets or 140 sets or whatever we'll have enough stock to last us from like christmas to when we launch but obviously we didn't and so we launched officially on the 24th of january but still it was you know really like to the was to the wire we were so stressed up until the launch day getting everything done (laughs) and it was recently announced that as well as being available to purchase on your website you're also stocked in adore beauty which is incredible yeah that's really exciting it seems kind of silly to ask what's next for the brand because it's still at the start but what are kind of your your goals for ultraviolet for this year or lofty goals yeah whichever look we kind of it, it is early days like it's so we've had a lot of people approach us actually we've as i said before the the response has been so amazing we've had every pretty much every um, major retailer in australia approach us we've had we've had conversations already with sephora us like Ulta approached us urban outfitters so like we've had some really get great response from international retailers so i guess that's probably probably 12 to 18 months away in terms of partnering with with some you know international and that's not and whether we go into the US first or whether we go we decide Asia or Europe or whatever it is we're, we're not we kind of haven't really mapped out the international expansion we know that that's definitely as I said 12 to 18 to 24 months away we kind of really do want to have, get a really strong base in Australia I'm kind of we're kind of looking forward to the next probably to next summer where we want to do a lot more I guess activations in real life because it's hard to buy a sunscreen online there's so much distrust in sunscreens because a lot of us have been burnt I don't mean literally although that does happen (laughs) it does happen with a bad sunscreen it does happen have been really burnt by sunscreens in the past so I guess people are really reluctant to try one especially at a higher price point and especially online so we kind of want to get out there a bit more in a more physical sense for next summer and we're kind of looking at some really exciting activations our our first 12, 12 months for us was about awareness and obviously we have sales targets but it's more for me I just want people knowing about us so at by next summer I can be like okay this is where we go really hard this is where we want we're going to put with this is where we want people to start transitioning from other brands to us and we've seen that a lot already which is amazing but we just need people to know about us first. And when you look back at your career so far, I mean, from an outsider's perspective, it seems that all the elements of all the jobs you've had are perfectly well, kind of leading up to this moment of launching your own beauty brand, giving you all the skills that you need. Yeah. Do you do you feel that way or does it feel like a natural um, progression? Yeah, it really does, actually. It does. It does. With, you know, a, a few kind of little like sidesteps here and there, but not really. Like I kind of, I, I feel like I've kind of had a path and I've just continued on it, but without really ever knowing the outcome. And I think it's given me the skills definitely that I would have needed to, you know, to get my half of ultraviolet done. But I, I definitely don't think that I could have done this alone. And I definitely think, you know, that Beck and I are the perfect combination of skills and and also running your own business is really lonely I'm just so glad that I've got Beck 
and that our skills are so complementary and that we have worked together before. So we kind of have almost have like a just a silent understanding of how things, how we kind of each approach things. Do what you can do, but don't spend hours learning how to, you know, build a website or months even. Like you could pay someone, even though it's it might be, you know, tight to find the money, but it's worth investing in someone to do that for you rather than struggling, teaching yourself how to do something that you're probably like might not be ever really that good at and someone could do in, you know, a tenth of the time. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? The sign of, of a successful entrepreneur or, or business person is identifying your strengths, finding other people with complementary mm-hmm. strengths and your time is money. So like you said, yeah. it might not be worth spending 100 hours trying to build a website when you could be channeling that into something else. So I Absolutely. think that's that's really great advice. The final product on your list, we've come to the, fin- the, the eighth product, eighth which is product. the one you always repurchase, which is the Kevin Aquan Volume Mascara yes. and or Glossier Boy Brow. So yes. tell me about those two. So Kevin Aquan, I was put onto by a makeup artist when I was 18. I've never looked back. I have obviously deviated because you're always like, oh, maybe this could be better. Like it, nothing ever is. And I reckon a lot of people who wear Kevin Aquan will say the same. They, You'll always go back to it. Model Co. have a really great one as well. Um, it's a great tubular mascara. But to me, Kevin is just, is the number one. And I'll never like... As I said, I have bought other mascaras just to see what's out there, but I'll like Kevin's my number one man. <laughs> and Glossier Boy Brow, I I think I own probably about ten of them, and I've got probably two in each bag, three in my bathroom, three like unopened ones in a drawer. Yeah, I've got them everywhere. I just I like part of my my look is like big brows, and I don't really do much else to them aside from Glossier Boy Brow, except go to Kristen Fisher for my eyebrows but because she's in Sydney and I'm in Melbourne it can sometimes be two months in between getting to her and Glossier Boy Brows just does the trick for me I just love it I'll buy it again and again and it's cheap it's just annoying to get so every time I have a friend that goes to America I'm like can you get me five (laughs) probably gonna go off before I can use them all because how much product can you put in your eyebrows I can put a lot let me tell you we talked about the eight products that have a special memory or meaning for you and now if I had to about to ask you Hmm. to pick just one of them to take with you to Beauty Island and I'll preface this by saying that I always give my guests the sunscreen of their choice which I'm assuming will be an ultra violet screen screen. so we'll take that out of the equation of the rest if you could pick just one to take with you and it doesn't have to be practical which one would you pick to take with I haven't talked about it so I'm kind of I don't know can I do this talk about it but then you still have to pick one from your list okay so I'm a major blush freak like I feel like that's the one and I kind of didn't really fit in the like eight products but if it was probably coming to the last question and what I would repurchase I love blush like love it love it love it I think you can wear it like it just lifts your face if people don't wear blush I'm like what's wrong with you you crazy like it makes you look alive so I would probably take blush which one in particular Westman Atelier that I don't know what it's called blush stick in I think it's like rosy or baby I would take that or I would take I probably wouldn't need the tan the fake tan because I'd be on an island you'd be sunning yourself responsibly yes, safely on absolutely. an island absolutely I'd probably just naturally get let's assume it's an island not 
near Australia, so we're not kind of dealing with the harshest of the sun. Let's say we're like an island off Italy or something. <laughs> but yes, always I'd be pouring Queen's Green all over my body. So Kevin, I'd take Kevin. Which would be great in the water because it's a tubular mascara. Absolutely. And all it just needs a bit of water to come off. So Ava, thank you so much for sharing your beauty memories and, and products and, and career, amazing career and life journey with us so far. Thanks so much. It's been amazing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beauty Island. You can find all the details of where to learn more about Ava and Ultraviolet in the show notes. If you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty Yes. I also have a regular beauty newsletter where you can get reviews, recommendations and tips and tricks from my beauty column delivered straight to your inbox and the link to sign up is in the show notes as well. Thank you and until next time, bye-bye.